4: Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, and our phone number, 8334-VALDEZ, 8334-VALDEZ. And I want to talk about a few things. Number one, I'm going to announce Secretary of State, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo is joining us momentarily. But before I get into that, I want to talk about the classified (laughs) documents that are being found everywhere. Hold on a second, I think I found some right here. What's this right here? I've got some classified documents. They're all over the place. Looks like you can find classified documents just about anywhere you look for them. And uh, I'm going to dig into that a little bit at the bottom of the hour, along with your calls. Uh, But first, I want to talk about censorship in the media because censorship in the media is here. It seems like it's here to stay. There's news today. And some people will say this is the free market. Some people will say this is big business. You can call it what you want, but I'm going to tell you what's going on. Newsmax uh, is... The television network, the cable television channel Newsmax, is scheduled to be deplatformed from DirecTV, which is owned by AT&T UVerse. So, I, I think it's something like 15 million homes won't have access to the channel anymore. Uh, these reports reveal that there's a 90 percent chance that the conservative news channel Newsmax will be dropped by DirecTV tonight. This is according to the Post Millennial. And uh, Fox News, excuse me, Fox Business uh, is reporting that people close to Newsmax revealed that the likelihood the channel would be removed uh, from becoming the, is very likely. And they're going to be the second news channel to be removed from this TV provider uh, after they dropped One America News last spring. Now, I tweeted about this last night, and I'm talking about it now because you guys see me on Newsmax probably about once a week, uh, pretty occasionally, and... Uh, I think it's great coverage. They have an excellent news department and the opinion stuff. I think you can't go wrong. If you like conservative commentary, uh, they're, they're always doing a great job. They're on top of it. Not just because I'm there. They have some excellent uh, commentators and hosts on the network. Uh, Charlie Gasparino from Fox Business said that this could set up a potential for a political battle with the Republican-led House and possibly with El Trumpito de Naldes Magnus, the 45th. President of these United States against Directv uh, and TPG Capital and uh, AT and which owns Directv. Now, according to the L.A. Times, Newsmax and Directv are uh, in negotiations, and they're they're having this discussion. Here's a, a quote. Here, uh, let's see. Before we get to that, the uh, the deadline was set for midnight January 25th. Here's the quote. We've discussed with Newsmax on on several occasions that we'd like to offer their programming. However, the network is now seeking significant fees that we would have to pass on to our broad customer base. The company said in a statement, additionally, the same programming offered by Newsmax today is already available at no charge to 100% of U.S. households, including our customers. All right, so now they're talking about the streaming channel at NewsmaxTV.com. From what I understand, Newsmax is not asking for anything more than some of the... Uh, center-left programming uh, sources are asking for in return for their programming. Uh, it seems like they want a nickel and dime, Newsmax, and they're like, oh, we'll carry it, but only if we're doing it for free. So it looks like they're trying to squeeze them out that way. Directive e would reportedly continue to carry Newsmax under its current arrangement, although Newsmax is reportedly asking for compensation in a new deal. Well, <laughs> isn't that novel to, to charge people for your services and for the content that you create? I tell you. Uh, it's amazing how they'll try and uh, make it seem like you're the devil because you want to be paid for your work. People familiar with the matter told the L.A. Times that the network would be willing to cease streaming uh, for free once pay TV operators agree to pay a carriage fee. So we'll see how that turns out. Maybe Newsmax will start charging for its online um, NewsmaxTV.com service uh, as long as at and continues to carry them. Uh, Another quote here to wrap this up. We expect DirecTV and its majority owner, AT&T, to treat Newsmax on a fair and equitable basis. I say hogwash. I think that's fake. That's phony. That's fraud. I think that they're doing everything they can to get rid of what they think is um, the enemy. This gets in the way of them telling their story the way they want to tell it. So anyway, we're going to get to the bottom of what's going on. Why did the Washington Post put out this scathing note uh, to Pompeo saying, you are horrible, Anyway, Mike Pompeo joins us right now to tell us what's going on. Don't go anywhere. It's America at Night. I'm Rich Valdez.
2: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with rich valdez
4: all right america welcome back rich valdez at rich valdez with an s on all of the social media and as promised our guest is a uh, former congressman cia director and secretary of state mike pompeo welcome sir
5: rich it's great to be with you thanks for having me on this evening
4: Thank you. Thank you. So busy day for you. You've got your brand new book out, Never Give an Inch, Fighting for the America I Love. Uh, It's a terrific memoir. And um, of course, with all the praise uh, is coming some of the, uh, the attacks from the usual suspects on the left. One of the ones I'm looking at here is from the publisher of The Washington Post, Fred Ryan. He says that, you have, quote, outrageously misrepresented and spread vile falsehoods about Jamal Khashoggi. How do you respond to something like that?
5: Oh, goodness, Rich. Thanks. Thanks again for having me with you. Uh, we, we were clear. We were going to put the American people first. And so when Jamal Khashoggi was murdered, mm-hmm. um, we did the right thing. It was heinous. It was awful. We, I, the Secretary of State, sanctioned, took away visas from some right. 13 Saudis who were involved in this murder. But the relationship between the United States and the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia saves American lives every day. They're a great security partner. They're a great diplomatic partner. We were confronting Iran. We needed the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia with us. We were trying to build up peace accords in the region. And if we had, if we had declared the Saudis were a pariah state, as President Biden did, I promise you we'd have more instability, more risk, more danger in the Middle East. And that means American kids may be having to go there and fight and die. And, I'll, I, I, you know, we we were just not going to I'd be damned if I was going to let that happen on my watch. And so when I hear folks say that we didn't care about Jamal Khashoggi, that's simply not true. But when you're the secretary of state, you have a responsibility uh, in this mean, nasty, brutal world that there is to make sure that you every day get up, put your helmet on and protect the American people. And we did that.
4: Yeah. Now, um, switching gears to some of the current domestic stuff that's going on every day we hear about somebody new with uh, classified documents being found and of course i say it tongue-in-cheek but do you have a bunch of classified documents that we don't know
5: about goodness gracious i sure don't think so uh, <laughs> but but i guess if you interviewed vice president pence a week ago he might have said the same thing right um, <laughs> so so Um, I handled tens of thousands of classified documents as the CIA director and the Secretary of State. We had a skiff in our home in each case. I kept the classified documents in there. There was a safe inside the secured room. We locked this up in the safe at night. Uh, Is it possible some single document guy? It's possible, I suppose. But here's, I think, the lesson that the American people need to take away. If someone does that, if someone mishandles classified information, for goodness sake, uh, let the American people know, be transparent, uh, get it back to where it's supposed to go, do a damage assessment to figure out if somehow maybe someone got hold of it that shouldn't have so that we know what risk there is out there, and then take responsibility. Don't blame your staff. Don't blame someone who worked around you. Certainly don't say you have no regrets. If if it turns out that someone says, oh my gosh, uh, five years ago, Mike, we found a document in your house, and or we've got a document next to park to your Corvette. I'm I'm joking, (laughs) I have a Corvette. Uh, (laughs) I I I promise you, I would tell the American people that I am sorry that I screwed up, that I got it wrong, that I regret it, uh, that I'm gonna do everything I can to make sure that never happens again because we have a responsibility as leaders to protect that information. And now we've found that we have leaders who who didn't and frankly, too many of them are trying to hide and claim uh, nothing to see here, folks.
4: You know, and in your memoir, and, and it, it looks like a, an amazing um, account because you've had a really storied career. You're talking about your your time in Congress, your time as uh, CIA director in the Trump administration and, and later secretary of state. And you wrote about a lot of things, friends, enemies, things of all, all that. And, and I want to get into some of that because I see that they're blasting you for comments that you made about Bolton and whatnot. But my first question is really, why, why politics to begin with? Why not something else? <laughs> That's exactly
5: that's a good question. It might be a mental health problem, Rich. It's possible. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I'm kidding. Um, look, I I served America as a young lieutenant in the United States Army in the early 1980s. That service was just incredible, and America has given me so many amazing opportunities. It's a uh, it's a blessing that uh, that I feel like I owed something back. And then the opportunity came up uh, to run for Congress, and President Obama was put in the business that I was running. I was running a machine shop in Wichita, Kansas, and President Obama was regulating. We had the Obamacare and we had all the uh labor department rules and he was making it really hard for my small company to be successful. And I thought I'm gonna do I'm gonna go back. I'm gonna go do my part to try and fix it to make it better. So I ran for Congress. I was blessed. I was elected and then goodness, just six years later I get a call from Vice President Pence uh, asking me if I'd consider joining the administration and it was um, it was amazing. And no one no one ever dreamed that they're going to get to be the Secretary of State of the United States of America or the sec- the, the director of Central Intelligence for the United States of America. Uh, every single one of those days and hours was precious and I I worked my tail off. We didn't we didn't get it right every day rich, but we were determined to protect America and make it more prosperous.
4: So you went from a machine shop, and I, f- I think this is like American Dream type of stuff right here, right? You're in a machine shop in Wichita, Kansas, and the next thing you know, you're in charge of all of a, of the spies and, and our international intelligence operation. I mean, it's a fascinating story. So I'm really glad that you put the book together. What's one of the, I guess, parts of the book that really stands out for you?
5: Oh, Rich, there's a couple. Um, it's a different book. Um, lots of folks from the Trump administration wrote. Um, I wrote something fundamentally different. I wrote about the four years from the perspective of the only national security team member to be there all four years and to write it in a way that told the stories that I think will will connect with Americans all across the country. Sometimes when you think about Beijing or Moscow or Taiwan or Ukraine, you think, gosh, it's a long ways away. But the truth is it impacts each and every one of us. And I want to tell that story about how the work that we did impacted the lives of every single American, you know, there's a, a front part of the book uh, where there's a story in the own in the in, in his own words from one of the hostages that I was able to get home to his family who was detained in North Korea. Uh, I still, it, it, it's emotional for me to even talk about. He writes about how he thought he was being taken out to be killed, and instead he showed up at the airport, and there was this beautiful American airplane, white over blue, with the seal of seal of the United States of America it's a It's a great story, and it's, we, we didn't we didn't pay a dime to get him back. We didn't bribe them, we didn't hand over terrorists like the Biden administration oh, did. They goodness. gave Victor booth to the russians right we We did it using the we used American power and it's in its finest sense, and we got these three American homes. We never apologized for America, and yet we got these three Americans back to the home. it's a, a great part of the book, and it is a different story than you can read anyplace else.
4: And I believe that uh, only because I think so often, you know, a new book will come out and you're, you're giving your side of the story on things and um, the left within the media will try and take everybody to task and you'll hear things. I mean, just, you know, in prepping for our interview, I, I saw articles saying that you 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 said that Bolton was uh, scheming for treason and that you were considering the 25th Amendment against Trump, <laughs> things I had not heard before. And I said, you know, let me run these by you because the, it's amazing how the media goes with, with the. Uh, one side of the story. So, how do you react to those?
5: Oh goodness! So, uh, yeah, lots of things that media has picked up. They pluck little nuggets out, and tell a story, and they say the secretary said X, and it turns out if you read the whole page, it's not remotely what I said. Of course, Look, there were uh, there were folks. A- Ambassador Bolton and I agreed on just about everything. We were working in tandem on the substance, but mm-hmm. I think I think I think John made an enormous mistake by putting classified information in a book about an administration that was still in office. And it wasn't because he told me a story that harmed me. It was a story that if you were a, if you were Vladimir Putin or you were Xi Jinping or you were a friend, you were prime minister Netanyahu to have a national security advisor, write a book while president Trump is still in office. That's just, that's no good.
1: That's just, yeah. that's
5: just not right. Uh, and I so agree with I, that. I talked about that fact. I just thought, no, it's not right. And I'm going to say, I didn't think that was right. Um, I just wanted people to be on the mission. President Trump was a duly elected president of the United States and our Mm -hmm. job was to deliver on his behalf and on behalf of the American people every day. And so when I saw people quit or walk away or not do hard things or say, gosh, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna undermine the president because I don't want to do that. That's not what we were all brought on board on. It's not the promise that we made to the American people when we swore an oath to the constitution. And so in the book I write about that and, and frankly the left has kind of taken me on and said, oh, you were sniping and others and the truth is, it's not about the people. It's not even about me. It's about America and protecting the things that matter most to the next generation. And uh, I was all about that. I was as focused on the mission I, as I could be. And While I, I certainly made mistakes, it was never for lack of understanding what it was I was supposed to be doing.
4: And I, I think, you know, there's something to be said about the media being a lot of uh, many thin-skinned Pollyannas. It's politics, and people do trade barbs, and, you know, it yeah. gets it gets yeah. nasty in talk radio, let alone politics, right? So, I mean, <laughs> Rich, come I'm mean,
5: sure that's true.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand why, why they put so much emphasis
5: on these things about you said this or he said that. Uh, I, I think it's, it's, it's good, hysterical. It's good for the water cooler. I don't know. Maybe it sells magazines. I don't know.
4: Yeah. Well, hopefully it sells some books. And by the way, let me just remind everybody, we're on with Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Uh, His book, Never Give an Inch, Fighting for the America. I love the book is out today. Get it on Amazon. I always tell you, get two copies, get one for you and give one away. This is definitely something that you want to take a look at. Uh, In the minutes that we have uh, remaining, there's um, I guess everybody's asking you, you know, are you going to throw your hat in the ring? What's going on? What's next for you? Uh, Are you planning on running for president, sir?
5: Susan, my wife, Susan, and I are praying about it trying to figure out, if, uh, to your point about going into politics, if we, are, if we are prepared to do the hard work that's required of the next president of the United States, and if we think this is our time. And so we are, we are trying to figure our way through that. We're doing the things one would do to get ready. We're praying about it, but we, we haven't decided yet. In the next handful of months, we'll, we'll make that decision. And if we decide to run, we'll go, throw, we'll go throw everything into it. We'll throw our hearts into it. We'll work our tails off. Uh, And then the good people of Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina will sort it all out. Um, And if we don't, Rich, you should know and and your listeners should all know, um, we will still be in this fight. The things that I write about and Never Give an Inch matter an awful lot to Susan and me. And we're not going to walk away from those things, even if we decide in the end this isn't our time to run for president.
4: Yeah, well, I definitely respect that, Mr. Secretary. I think America needs patriots like you more and more each day. Um, in sum, tell us, um, what, what's the lightest uh, part of the book, You, you, you the, the the one that gives you the fuzziest feeling from your memoir?
5: Oh, there's some fun stories. My son writes the foreword, and so the publisher said, you know, that would usually be someone like Dr. Kissinger. <laughs> I You're said, right. no, I'm going to have my son Nick write it. So he tells a little story, right? It impacted our whole family. Uh, And then there's a funny story in there where Linda Ronstadt, whose music I love, uh, gives me a really hard time in an awkward setting and, uh, frankly, kind of embarrassed herself. And she thought she was embarrassing (laughs) me. And the the story is just kind of funny.
4: Wow. Well, uh, hopefully everybody will get a chance to pick up the book and uh, listen to or read what that was about, because that sounds like uh, one of those things that you just won't get on on the media. Uh, Mr. Secretary – Uh, Final word to you. Anything you want to just let everybody know what they could expect in the book?
5: No, thanks. I hope folks who pick it up will read it. They'll enjoy it. They'll find something that impacts their life. I write about leadership and hard work and hard decisions. I write about keeping one's faith, knowing that there's something bigger than us out there, that in the end, the good Lord is watching over this great nation. I hope everyone will pick that up and enjoy reading about that.
4: All right, it's Secretary Mike Pompeo. Check out the new book, Never Give an Inch Fighting for the America I Love. Mr. Secretary, thanks for being with us, sir.
5: Rich, thank you. Bless you. Have a good day.
4: God bless you, too. All right, don't go anywhere. More to come straight ahead. Rich Valdez, this is America at Night.
2: Are you into weird, spooky and strange history? Horrifying History tells you about the side of history that people don't normally talk about. We tell the tales of haunted places, infamous true crimes, unsolved mysteries, the paranormal and then we look to history to see where the truth actually lies. Want to get spooky with us?
0: Horrifying History, part of the Believe Network. Just search BLEAV on YouTube or wherever you listen.
2: 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 4 valdez That's VALDEZ with an S.
6: you take any classified documents with you from the White House?
7: Uh, I, I did not.
0: Um, do you see any reason for anyone to take classified documents with them leaving the White House?
8: Well, there'd be no reason to have classified documents, particularly if they were in an unprotected area.
4: All right. That is uh, former Vice President Mike Pence uh, in an interview with uh, David Muir. And it turns out that there are more documents that have been found and now they've been found in Vice President Pence's home. Man, I tell you, this story gets better and better. I I tweeted out and put on Truth Social and Getter and all the rest of the uh, social media earlier at Rich Valdez with an S, by the way my uh, promo video that i usually just put on my instagram story if you're not following me there please do but um and my joke was you know i kind of drew classified on a folder and said we've found some classified documents here in the studio and the uh you know while i do it in, in the spirit of doing it in fun it's just uh it's hysterical to me that this is what's going on with these documents that are found uh, all over the place and you know i love to play chess and You know, some people call it a—and I don't mean real chess. I mean figurative chess in the world of politics. And my thinking here is when this first happened, I thought, who has the most to gain in whatever month it was? What was it, August, when they raided Trump's house? And I thought, who has the most to gain in hurting Trump? And to me, it seemed uh, Biden might have the most to gain— but Biden wouldn't wait, would, would have waited a little longer, I would have suspected. He didn't need to do it in August. And so for me, it came down on one of two sides, a political opponent uh, on the left or a political opponent on the right. And I just, you know, I couldn't help but think there might have been uh, some, some there there with thinking that perhaps not Pence himself, because I don't think he likes to play dirty, but perhaps some folks on his team might like to play dirty. It's politics after all. And perhaps somebody said, hey, you might want to look at this, or we might know that there's this and that there, full well knowing that these things are all over the place. And that's why Biden's got him. And that's why Pence has got him. And that's why everybody's got everything. Right. And uh yeah, maybe we need to tighten that up a little bit. But the point I'm making is, what was once egregious when Trump was selling the nuclear codes, oh my gosh, we've got to, he's obstructing all sorts of justice. He's obstructing Congress. He's obstructing, he is an obstruction to just... Everything that exists, El trompito de Naldes, Magnus, making it seem as if it was the worst thing ever. Now, all of a sudden, everybody's just as guilty as sin. So now they spend their time trying to educate you. Everybody becomes, um, you know, an armchair quarterback, an expert in the area of the Presidential Records Act and NARA, uh, the National Archives um, uh, Registration, whatever, Records Act. And um, I just think the whole thing is is uh, an interesting Conundrum, if you will, and this conundrum, in my opinion, uh, to me, what I really want to figure out here, and maybe you could help me and give us a call eight three three four valdez give me your opinion on this. Is I want to know who is it that had the most to gain? Was it the Pence team? Was somebody maybe one of the uh, political people from the Pence team saying, you know, let's let's throw a little uh, let's throw a little something at Trump to slow him down? Uh, because I think, f- f- besides Trump, there isn't anybody else that's been as vocal saying they wanna run for president as perhaps former Vice President Mike Pence. And maybe I'm mistaken on that. Uh, I think there's several people that have aspirations, Nikki Haley, uh, Mike Pompeo, who was just on the program with us, and and uh, Mike Pence as well. And others. people are trying to push DeSantis into the ring, although he just got reelected as governor. So I think he might run for, governor, uh, for president, but maybe not right now because he just got reelected to the job that he has. So I think he, he strikes me as somebody who takes that commitment pretty seriously, and he's not just going to tell Florida, "Hey, thanks for electing me governor, I'm I'm, I'm out of here." You know, maybe a little bit later on, that may be something he decides to do, but I think it makes the most sense for him to finish his term, to continue to use his platform as governor as a uh, as a perch to to show people what he can do, and uh, to continue to be America's governor because I think he's terrific. But as we um, continue to analyze this, I think. <clears throat> that there there may be a whole bunch of different characters at play here, right? I think it might've been for for Trump. It might've been uh, the the Pence political opposition research people working with with some folks here, there or somewhere else and getting this to be a little exacerbated the way it was and exaggerated. And then uh, who knows? I think then you have people within the Democrat party that are now doing it to Biden saying, hey, look, it worked for those guys. <laughs> Let's do it to our own guy because he might be getting in the way. Who knows who's pulling the strings here? Uh, I love, everybody loves to say it's Soros and Obama and, uh, you know, those are great bad guys, but I think there's more bad guys than just those two bad guys and their lawyer, Mark Elias. So anyway, the story goes, and this is a, a headline from ABC news cause I didn't pull up another one from anywhere else. Maybe I did. Hold on. Let's see. What do I got here? No, I don't have that one right here. Let's go with this one. Um, He was unaware of these, just like everybody else. Classified documents have been found in the home of former Vice President Mike Pence and turned over to the FBI for review. Multiple sources with the matter have told ABC News. Now, I I learned years ago that this means leakers, right? So multiple sources familiar with the matter would be the FBI agents that took these documents, right? Who else has... Is it Mike Pence leaking? Is he? Hey, 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 this is Vice. You know, I don't think that's happening. So anyway, it continues. A lawyer for Pence conducted, uh, conducted the search of Pence's home in Indiana last week and found a dozen documents marked as classified. The search was done proactively in the wake of the news that classified documents from before he was president were found in Joe Biden's home and his old office at the Penn Biden Center. Obviously, this is the news of, of the day. Every day is who's got classified information. Then we uh, it goes on. Pence, the Pence documents are undergoing a review by the Department of Justice, National Security Division and the FBI um, simultaneously. The revelation marks uh, makes Pence the third high profile official to have classified material discovered at their residence in three in recent months after Biden and former President Donald Trump, both of whom are now being investigated by special counsels under the Department of Justice. So that's the uh, story right there. And you've probably heard it all day long. Uh, But again, my question to you, to the audience is, um, do you buy it? Do you think everybody's making the same mistakes? Is this kind of um, status quo? Kind of like, you know, if you do a seatbelt checkpoint, you're going to catch people driving without seatbelts? Because part of me feels like that's what this is. I don't think anybody here is walking away with nuclear codes. I think a lot of people are walking away with stuff that, uh, now maybe maybe some of it is national security secrets, intelligence information, sure. But I think for the most part, um, I don't think Mike Pence is is selling stuff to China. I mean, again, I, I don't know, but I haven't heard the accusation. I haven't seen the, the paper trail. Uh, I haven't seen or read about him in, in one of the many, many books done by Peter Schweitzer, which are really good, or the uh, uh, Amanda Devine book. Uh, every all, all roads lead to Biden. So I think... It depends on which documents you have and how you got them. And I think these are all fair questions. And it seems like he's been very forthright. And, of course, that's the defense they're saying for President Biden. Well, he was very forthright. So, obviously, if he was forthright, that's what makes Trump the bad guy here is that he wasn't forthright even though he was negotiating. It seems to me he was very forthright. He just wasn't going to let them you know, uh, steamroll him. He wasn't going to roll over and play dead. And that seems to be the, the, um, the mantra here. If you're a Republican, you got to roll over and play dead. No, thank you. I'm not interested. More to come straight ahead. I am Rich Valdez. Stick around.
2: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
4: to listen to you rich all the time
2: america at night with rich valdez
4: all right america welcome back i am rich valdez valdez with an s by the way and our telephone number is 8334 valdez and i want to um bring your attention to this clip of audio it is from earlier today white house press briefing and it's Corrine Jean-Pierre, who, again, somebody actually sent me, many of you did, but one of them was really, really funny. Uh, one of the nicknames for Corrine Jean-Pierre. And I, I've yet to come up with one. I usually like to have fun, you know, like Joe El Baboso Biden or Kamala Que Mala Eres uh, or, you know, El Trompito this Magnus, but, or Nancy La Bruja Pelosi. I have so many of them. They're so good. Uh, but I don't, can't come up with a good one for Corrine Jean-Pierre. But she was... Um, Speaking with a reporter at the briefing today, and the question was: Should other uh, former officials start looking for documents in their homes? Just you know, like should everybody just start looking around and you know just shuffling through papers and oh look at this, yeah, let's see what we've got here. Oh, look, turns out I got some top secret over here. What do you got? Oh, I've got for your eyes only. All right, well they're all classified. Let's uh, you know, who knows? I mean, what what is going on? And maybe that's what we're supposed to be thinking. Uh, I tend to think these things happen quite often. I think uh, uh, Mark Levin has uh, alluded to that as well. And we'll play a little clip of that from Fox News in a moment. But uh, Corrine Jean-Pierre, this is how she responds to the question of, should everybody start looking for these documents? Check this out.
2: And does the White House believe that other former high office holders should now go back and check their personal residences, out of an abundance of caution, to make sure that they're not holding on to classified documents as well.
9: That's not something I can comment from here. Uh, I don't even we don't I don't even know the um, uh, you know the the reasoning of what the news that we heard about Pence. So I'm just not going to comment from here. Uh, I'm not going to comment on any other uh, former elected official, current of elected official with this particular case. I refer to Department of Justice anything uh, that relates to this White House. I would refer you to the White House Counsel's office.
4: Wow, in in a drastic turn, a dramatic change of pace, Karine Jean-Pierre is not going to comment. Now, I know I'm being uh, funny here. Um, She never comments, right? She's never, ever really made a comment. And if if she were smart, in my opinion, and I don't want to say she's not smart, I'm just saying it would have been a better approach for her to say, you know what? This type of thing happens all the time. And... It's clearly a misunderstanding. People end up with, the reason she can't is because they doubled down so hard on El Trompito when they set him up. So now everybody's eating crow. And that's their problem. And uh, Martha McCallum on Fox News earlier today um, pointed that out and uh, noted um, radio mentor and uh, broadcast legend Mark Levin in his commentary on it. Listen to this.
2: I mean, you know, secondly, people who have lost faith in the in the operations of the American government and integrity and how things are handled, uh, I, I think they're just going to throw their hands up in the and Say, see. You know, I'm not surprised. People are not taking these things seriously. In some of these cases, these are top secret documents. Is that a meaningless term at this point? If people are just going to take them home and leave them in boxes? Are we just, <laughs> should we not care about this, Ari? Is this just... We go, okay, you know, everybody does it. Like Mark Levin says, you know, everybody does it. It's not a big deal. Is that where we are, Ari, before we go here?
4: It doesn't matter if it's confidential, secret, top secret, or code word. You can't do it. Oh, there you go. Uh, Now, again, by saying that everybody does it doesn't mean that it's necessarily allowed. It just means everybody does it, like I said before. And, again, this is not a um, – I guess it is apples and oranges, but I think it still has prudence the seatbelt stop, you know, if you do a seatbelt checkpoint and you start asking everybody, hey, you wearing a seatbelt, you wear a seatbelt, just looking through the window, giving out tickets, I think you're going to find there's a number of people that don't like to wear seatbelts. There are some people that will go out of their way, uh, including some I've seen in law enforcement, but I'm sure they have their reasons, who will put the seatbelt, click it in, and then sit down, right? So they're sitting on top of a clicked-in seatbelt just to keep the little device from going bing, 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 because bing, that will drive anybody crazy. So my, my thinking here is that I think this is a pretty common occurrence, and, and it's something where we have to look at, you know, everything individually, and, and really, you know, who was it? What were these documents? What was that person's position? Was this person a senator looking at things in a, in a skiff where they're allowed to look at it? How did they remove it? Are they Sandy Berger? Did they walk away with documents stuffed down their pants? Because that actually happened, and we know that happened. So these are, I think, the questions that we need to ask. Because these are the questions, in my opinion, that remain to be unanswered. So we're going to get to those questions and more as we continue. There's a couple of more clips of audio I want to play. We're going to continue our discussion on classified document gate. At least that's what I'm going to call it for now. At, plus your calls and questions and more. 833 4 Eight three three four 833 4 Don't go anywhere. We're just getting started.
2: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. This is America. This is night. This is Rich Valdez.
4: All right, America, welcome back. And uh, again, just continuing our discussion with the White House press briefing today. uh, Karine Jean-Pierre was asked. You know, why was this story leaked? Was it to hurt Joe Biden in 2024? Are Democrats trying to keep him out? Because we know that Biden did this stuff, but why did he do it? And that was the question posed by Fox News' uh, Peter Ducey. Check this out.
0: After a special counsel was named, but before the FBI searched. President Biden went to his house in Wilmington. What was he doing in there?
9: I would refer you to the White House Counsel.
0: So it was something relating to this case. I would
9: refer you to the White House Counsel's office.
0: Okay. Do you think that this story was leaked by someone trying to bruise the President politically ahead of a re-election announcement?
9: I would refer you to the White House Counsel's office as they've been the ones who've been uh, uh, closely involved.
0: Okay. More basically, we know the President did it. Why did he do it?
9: I would refer to the White House Counsel's office.
0: In the president's own words, he admits to having information that wasn't his. Why did he smuggle
7: it out?
9: I will let the, 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 the statement of the president stand for itself. I'm just not going to go into a rabbit hole, down a rabbit hole with you okay. on this.
7: Oh,
4: snap. She said she doesn't like Peter Doocy. She doesn't like his rabbit hole. She's not going anywhere with him. Listen, I think that um, she sounded like a broken record. I'm going to refer you to the White House counsel. When you do stuff like that, I mean, to me, it seems like she's stonewalling. Uh, but who am I? Right. I don't know what you think. We're, we, <laughs> we've we we got to look at this and see where this goes. To me, this is really it's telling. You know, When if you're the American public and you're not a political junkie like me or, you know, a news junkie, people that are really up to speed on things, just regular Americans that like to watch reality TV and they know what's going on with shows like The Bachelor or whatever. And, um, you know, they seem to to listen to popular music and they're just trying to pay their bills, trying to go to work, trying to live their lives, maybe going out to a nice place on the weekend. You know, just regular life. And they hear this. I mean, I think any regular person, apolitical, doesn't watch the news type of person is going to say, wow, it sounds like that lady's got something to hide. Those people sound like they, you know, like somebody just read them their rights and they've lawyered up. It's what it sounds like to me. And I think this isn't going to lead to anything good. Uh, lamentably, it, it doesn't seem like it's going to go anywhere good. I mean, th- those are just my thoughts. I don't know what you think. Um, also, before we get uh, into what's going on with the rest of the program tonight, Uh, I do want to get into a little bit of gun control in the midnight hour, um, and that would be the third hour of the program. So if if you have any interest on that, I want you to get in on that, 8334 Valdez. And I also want to let you know what's coming up, right? Because there's been additional cases of election fraud that have been added to the Heritage Foundation's uh, database. And we've got the uh, election law reform initiative and senior legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation, Hans von Spakovsky. He's going to be joining us in a little bit to talk about what's going on. The latest with this, they now have more than 1400 cases of election fraud recorded. And uh, I want to get to the bottom of that. Plus yesterday we talked a little bit about the, the riots that happened in Atlanta and in Boston and, uh, We've seen them happen throughout the summer of 2020 to to date. And um, Antifa, the anti-fascist group that behaves like fascists more than anybody else, they um, were responsible for a lot of this. And a former Antifa member who uh, took off his black mask and became a— Uh, America Loving Patriot, Gabriel Nadalis. He's been on this program before. He's going to join us. He's going to weigh in a little bit on what's going on with that and his book um, that we discussed a little bit last time. I want to get into that with him again because I think it's important that we discuss those things. And let's see here. I did want to get to your calls. Let's go to Cleveland, Ohio. We've got somebody calling from WNIR. So let's get them cleared before we run out of time. Ethan in Cleveland, Ohio. Go right ahead. Oh, is that me? You're the only Ethan on hold, brother. Oh, okay. I didn't hear the interest. All
2: I heard was... All
4: right. right. Well, we'll try it again a little bit later. You lost your time. The music means we've got to go. I appreciate it. Hopefully, we could get to it a little bit quicker next time. And more to come straight ahead. Election fraud plus Antifa and some gun control. Yes, no, maybe so. Coming up, don't go anywhere. Stick around. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night. Hi there. Good evening. And what's up America? I am Rich Valdez and that's at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And I wanted to uh, talk to you about what's going on right now. Of course, if you want to uh, continue looking into that story we discussed at the top of the last hour with the censorship on conservative news channel Newsmax, Newsmax TV, you can go to I want Newsmax dot com to get the latest and how you could take action and send emails and and join that fight. Um, I think it's a, a worthy one for everybody that's listening. If you enjoy Newsmax and you think conservatives should have an outlet where they can speak on television and not be uh, kind of kicked off by AT&T go to iwantnewsmax.com. And speaking of censoring people, one of the easiest ways to censor people is for their votes not to be heard, not to be counted, or, or to be somehow otherwise modified fraudulently. And while everybody says, you know what, there's no such thing as election fraud, it's been debunked, it's fake, it's phony, it's fraud, uh, it's fugazi. Uh, not necessarily. Now, listen, I'm not making any outlandish claims that are going to have you know, uh, to be prefaced by a disclaimer, but I will say election fraud is a real thing and people do get uh, arrested for it. And there are document, uh, documented instances of it. And there's an actual database, which provides a sampling of recent election fraud cases. It's maintained by the heritage foundation. And uh, our guest, Hans von Spakovsky is the Uh, Senior Legal Fellow at Heritage, as well as the manager of the Election Law Reform Initiative, Hans von Spakovsky. Welcome to the program, sir.
0: Well, thanks for having me on. on.
4: You bet. So I'd like to get into a little bit uh, on this because I know uh, you've now topped your 1,400th case in the database. And it shows the the latest update uh, shows several instances of convicted felons voting. Tell us more.
0: Yeah, we're up to 1,412 uh, proven cases. And when I say proven, we don't put anything in the database unless it is proven. You know, we don't, we don't put claims in where someone says, oh, I think this happened or that happened. Uh, the only way a case goes into our database is if someone is convicted in a court of law or a court and a, or a judge order a new election because of fraud. And, um, it's not a comprehensive list that we, we certainly don't claim to have all the cases that have occurred, but you know, that's a lot a 1,412 cases. And I can tell you, rich, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: we have a long term tracking system in which we've got many, many other cases that we're following cases where people have been arrested, indicted, Uh, investigations are going on, and we follow them so that when the case ends, uh, it goes into our database. But, you know, we just added cases um, of people who were felons who voted despite the fact that they hadn't gotten their right to vote back yet. And for anybody who thinks that's not a big deal, um, every time a fraudulent vote is cast, including by somebody who's not eligible, that cancels out the vote of an eligible voter. And that includes, for example, uh, we just added several cases of people who are not u s. citizens who um, voted despite that. And that means that every every alien who voted, again, they canceled the vote of uh, uh, an eligible citizen. And you know, some of these are single instances of somebody taking advantage of the system, but we have other cases where, there was a conspiracy among a group of people and um, one of the cases we've added was almost half a dozen staffers all working for the same candidate. Uh, they stole enough absentee ballot votes to get an election overturned. Wow.
4: How did how did they uh, proceed on that?
0: Well, this was the uh, ninth congressional district race. You may recall, uh, in North Carolina in 2018. Mm. And there was a political consultant there, um, who apparently had a habit of doing this in prior races. He was actually working for the Republican candidate this time. He had previously worked for democratic candidates and what they were doing was illegal vote trafficking. He was sending his people to voters' homes. They were taking the ballots, the absentee ballots of those voters, uh, often opening them up and changing the vote, sometimes filling out the, the ballot themselves, forging the voter signature, forging witness signatures uh, to make sure they got uh, plenty of votes. For the candidate they were working for this this was investigated by the state board of elections uh extensively and they overturned the election because they said there was basically a systematic absentee ballot fraud scheme that uh uh, brought the outcome of the election into question and those folks have all just pleaded guilty to the felony charges involved in that case so that that one actually resulted in election uh, uh, being overturned. Wow.
4: And people think these things don't happen on a regular basis. Right. Sadly, they do. And, you know, what, what you're talking about reminds me of uh, some work I did years ago uh, looking into the Politiqueras. Uh, similar scheme all down at the southern border. Where they're buying votes, selling votes. Even grandmas were oh, yeah. brokering votes for different candidates.
0: Absolutely crazy stuff. Okay. Yeah. In so fact, let us, uh, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no. Just go ahead. I was just going to tell you. See, what you just mentioned is another example, and we've got those in our databases of very old-fashioned vote buying, and the mm-hmm. vote buying. We've got cases of that in Texas, just like you mentioned. We've got cases like that in Kentucky and elsewhere.
4: Wow. Yeah. And you know, it's funny because when you know when when I heard about that, and this is I heard about it maybe in 2014 had some people on the ground in Texas telling me, hey, you, you know, they just mentioned it casually. Well, you know, they got the politiquetas working with them. And I said, what are those? And they said, oh, these are like grandmas that work with, you know, people that go and buy votes. And, they, and I was like, what do you mean they buy votes? He's like, well, oh, people sell their votes. It's like a common thing. Yeah. And it, it was just so widespread. But, you know, in my mind, I thought, well, that's gotta be, isolated to the Rio Grande Valley and to, you know, where, where that type of cultural norm, because they're so close to the corruption of the cartels, maybe, you know, but that was me justifying it. Apparently this, you could do this all over the place, especially in places that wherever there's mail-in ballots, it's even easier to do. And I remember there was one case where they caught them colluding with a mailman who was before he was dropping off the ballot, he would just sell them to this group and they would go ahead and resell them to whichever, you know, um, uh, not campaign, but, you know, they would broker a deal and say, hey, we'll do your canvassing. But they were really, you know, <laughs> buying boats. And it was just yeah, um, yeah. beyond the pale.
0: No, and in fact, um, not too long ago, uh, we added another case just like that to the database. Uh, two public officials in um, a small town in Louisiana. One of them was the chief of police and the other one was a member of the city council. And they were buying votes uh, for themselves and other candidates they were uh, supporting. So they are actually paying voters to vote for them.
4: Unbelievable. Folks, we are on with uh, Hans von Spakovsky from the Heritage Foundation. He's a senior legal fellow there and uh, is in charge of their uh, election. Um, Let me see. I don't want to mess this up here. The election... Why is that not showing here? Election Law Reform <laughs> Initiative. Forgive me. Election Law Reform Initiative at the Heritage Foundation. Uh, you could check them out at heritage.org. Uh, Hans, straight ahead, I'd like you to t- tell us a little bit about, uh, I know you guys have this database and it breaks up a few different ways. And elections are run by states, you know, secretaries of state, and then individual right. counties. I'd like to know, uh, from your assessment, looking at this database, which are the biggest offenders at the statewide level. So stick with us if you can, folks. If you want to join the conversation with Hans von Spakovsky, uh, feel free to give us a call eight three three the number four Valdes eight three three four Valdes, or you could uh, give us a call on the legacy line as well. Either way, uh, happy to chat with you. Don't go anywhere. We're continuing the conversation with Hans von Spakovsky.
2: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez.
4: All right, America, welcome back. I am Rich Valdez, and we are continuing our conversation with Hans von Spakovsky from the Heritage Foundation. Uh, We have a caller in Atlanta, Georgia, on WGKA. Crystal, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. And Hans, go right ahead.
6: Thank you. Um, I have a question. Uh, You say you add these people or these cases to your database um, after they're solved in court. My question is, what are the penalties that these people are are getting?
4: Excellent, Crystal. Thank you very much. Hans, go right ahead.
0: Well, unfortunately, I mean that is a good question, and unfortunately, in many of the case, it, look in some of the cases, uh, they take them seriously, and and uh, the judges, you know, I think. Um, uh, uh impose the the correct kind of sentences. But in many of the other cases, they get off really lightly. I mean, I, I give you an example of this. We recently added a case of a lady in San Diego, California, who was charged with four felony uh offenses because she um submitted absentee ballots on behalf of her deceased mother. She filled out the ballots, forged her mother's signature, and then falsely swore that she was a witness to her mother signing the ballot. Um, wow. She was sentenced to two years of probation. <laughs> so she didn't even spend a day in jail. Um, on the other hand, um, a very serious case. Now, this is one woman taking advantage of the fact that uh, – California secretary of state doesn't do a good job of taking people who've died off the rolls, but a much more serious um, case that we added not too long ago was of a political consultant in Philadelphia, a guy named Mike Ozzie Myers. He's a former congressman. Yeah. I'm And yes, exactly right. And he, he, when he, when he left Congress, he became a political consultant. He represented a lot of, um, candidates for office. And uh, he pleaded guilty to felony counts of bribing the managers of several polling places in Philadelphia to pad ballot boxes with fraudulent ballots on behalf of his clients. And they did this in multiple elections for multiple candidates. Two of the managers of those polling places uh, uh, already pleaded guilty last year to accepting those bribes and submitting literally hundreds, hundreds of fraudulent ballots. Uh, Myers finally uh, pleaded guilty and he definitely is going to a federal prison, so he's actually going to serve jail time for it. But there's too many other cases where you know, a fine is imposed and often a community service work and the people just don't even spend any time in jail. Thanks
4: again, Crystal. Now, Hans, you know, this this uh, this particular case you spoke of this uh, um, Congressman uh, Nelson here. This is uh, a crazy story because he was already in jail and, and like did his thing and, you know, got kicked out of Congress or whatever it was and right. then came back. And he was rigging these elections to get judges elected. And I just find it so bizarre that after having had his life turned upside down by, by his um, indiscretions, he went ahead and said, oh, you know, I do this pretty good. Uh, you know, I'm former Congress, so I'm going to start selling votes to get judges elected. I mean, you just can't make it up. And I, I just happened to have been telling this story to somebody the other day, and they were like, no way. That didn't happen. I was like, there's a whole movie <laughs> about the first part. <laughs> it's called American yeah, Hustle. It it's is. like real.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it amazes it's, it's me real. And, and he obviously didn't learn his lesson. And for folks out there who are too young to remember ABSCAM, scam, the FBI set up a sting operation. They had an mm. agent dressed up as, you know, as an Arab sheik who was offering bribes for members of Congress to vote for certain legislation. And uh, Myers was one of the congressmen caught on camera accepting cash uh, to do that. And, and he did end up uh, uh, being forced out of Congress and going to federal prison. And now he's going to be in federal prison again.
4: Yeah. And he's, he's old. I mean, it just goes to show you, you just can't teach an old dog new tricks now. in the few minutes we have remaining other than uh, the ones we're citing California and Pennsylvania, who are the biggest offenders at the statewide level
0: in terms well, of Well, it's states? kind of a, it, it, it's, I don't know if there's one particular state that has more fraud than others, uh, although we do tend to see, you know, quite a bit of it in places like New Jersey. But but what I will say (laughs) is that, first of all, it's a bipartisan issue. Okay. sure. Uh, You look at our database and you'll find Democrats convicted of fraud. You'll find Republicans convicted of fraud and you find multiple cases where it's not one party stealing from another. But we've got cases in there, one I'm thinking of in particular in Indiana, where the fraud occurred during a Democratic mayoral primary. So it's hmm. basically people within the same party stealing from each other. The, the, probably the most common fraud is absentee ballot fraud. And, yeah. it, it, Rich, think about it. You know, that, It's easy to, to understand why that is because, remember, absentee ballots are the only kind of ballot that are voted outside the supervision of election officials and outside the observation of poll watchers. So right. there's, there's no one really watching to make sure that fraud isn't occurring. Um, there's no one watching to make sure that uh, candidates and other people aren't going to voters' homes and pressuring and coercing them to vote a particular way or paying them money to vote and seeing how they fill out the absentee ballot to make sure that They got what they paid for. And so, you know, we we get a lot of absentee ballot fraud cases in the database.
4: I tell you, uh, Godspeed to you and everybody working on this project, because, you know, it's some places you save election fraud and it's taboo and they're like, hey, you're wearing a tinfoil hat and in other places you know you can't lose an election without it that's election fraud <laughs> you know i mean you get people on both sides of the extreme but it's important work and i'm glad that you're doing it uh, if people want to follow the the work that you're doing and support what you're doing uh, how do they follow you Hans? uh
0: go to heritage.org heritage.org or i do i i am on twitter at uh, h von spakowski, and our uh Database is available on the Heritage.org website, and you can look up your state, look up our cases, and they have a summary of the cases and backup documents to show uh, what really happened. Outstanding.
4: Uh, Give them a follow at H. Von Spakovsky on Twitter and check them out at Heritage.org on the web. Hans Von Spakovsky, thank you, sir, for the work you're doing, and thanks for joining us tonight. Sure thing. Happy to do it. You bet. Have a good night. All right, folks, more to come straight ahead. He was an Antifa activist wearing the black clad mask and doing what they do. And uh, now he's a pro-America activist looking to make America a better place for you and me. Gabriel Nadalis joins us coming up next. And, um... He joined us a couple of months back, and I want to check in with him again because of the rise in recent Antifa violence that we've been seeing over this past weekend, and uh, I think it's something that we should discuss. Plus, later on in the program, it's Open Phone America. That's right. The long tradition here on this program of America's late night town hall where you guys get to call in and sound off. And sometimes I sound off back at you. For the most part, it's a pretty good conversation. And we're talking about everything that matters to you. So give us a call 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. I am Rich Valdez. This is America at Night.
2: 833-4-VALDES. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDES. That's VALDES with an S.
4: All right, America, welcome back. Um, We were talking about what's going on with some of the Antifa violence over the weekend. Of course, Antifa, the um, anti-fascist movement, came out of, I guess, out of Germany or one of those uh, European nations and made its way here. Uh, Real popular in Oregon. And uh, over the weekend, they were going crazy. I saw some clips that there was some action in in Boston. There was some action uh, in Atlanta. Uh, It seemed like there was a lot going on. And um, who knows more about Antifa than uh, former Antifa activist himself, Gabriel Nadales. You could find him on Twitter at OG Nadales. And it's, I like that. It's a pretty cool OG. Uh, occasionally I refer to myself as OG, but for me, it's original Goldito. Uh, for him, it's <laughs> he's an original Antifa. And uh, he wrote this book, really good book here. Uh, former Antifa activist and national director of Our America. His book is called Behind the Black Mask My Time as an Antifa Activist. Gabriel Nadales, welcome, sir. So, thank you for having me back on. You bet, my man. So yeah, you know, I thought about you over the weekend. Uh, and when I when I saw you know some of your old homies running around wreaking havoc, lighting police cars on fire, and I thought I thought we were behind that. You know, that was behind us. And lo and behold, things were were popping off over the weekend. Uh, give us a breakdown. What was your reaction, and why do you? What was the whole scoop? Because I, I saw the headlines, and I just—I never really understand why they're acting up. I just think they just want to wreak havoc for the sake of wreaking havoc.
6: Well, there is some truth to that. Honestly, the Antifa always looks for an excuse to be able to create violence and chaos in order to further its goal of really taking down the American government. And that's not just me saying, like, to try to sound bombastic. That's really what their stated goal is. If you talk to Antifa activists, and they're talking about, like, what does fighting fasc- fascism mean? And they mean to take down capitalism, to take down democracy, to take down basically the system of government. And institute either anarchism or a form of far-left communism or far-left anarchism. Yeah. Uh, so it's, they, they really are looking for those excuses. In this specific instance, uh, apparently Georgia is trying to build a training camp for police officer somewhere out in the woods. Um, and there's some eco-anarchists that are not okay with this. So this has been going on for quite a while, apparently. And they just, oh, about a week ago, a, they were, some police officers were trying to clear out the, the area in order so they could start constructing or building. And one of those Antifa activists, part of Treehouse Antifa, particularly this collective is called, he shot at police. Well, he hit an officer. And then, well, the police returned fired and killed one of their members, uh, which is a justified shooting. But, you know, Treehouse and FIFA doesn't want their members to be killed. Uh, they also arrested about, I believe, five other anarchists, and they were all booked on terrorist charges. And Treehouse and FIFA didn't like that. They released a statement saying that uh, on social media, it's, uh, quote, consider this a call to reciprocal violence against the police and its allies. And, you know, predictably, they, a lot of people answer that call. And they started creating chaos all throughout the country in several different
4: cities. Wow. So tell us a little bit about uh, what you know about what happened in each city. I saw some footage on television over the weekend and um, I saw a police car on fire and a bunch of cops looking at it like, holy crap, you know, like how'd that happen? It looked like they had just arrived to take care of a fight while they were taking care of the fight. Somebody lit their police car on fire and, and I thought to myself, oh boy, we're back to this stuff again. What do you know about the specific actions in each city?
6: Well, it was specifically, I know in Georgia that, as you mentioned, they were attacking police cruisers. There were also um, uh, breaking windows. There was a Wells Fargo, for example, that was uh, that was vandalized. In Boston, I believe, yeah, I believe it was in Boston, there was the the daughter of uh, the Democratic congressional whip. Uh, she mm, yeah. was arrested on on some felony charges, and she was arraigned today, I, I believe so. But you know, it's pretty much more of the same. If you'd expect that they're breaking windows uh, setting police cars on fire, which is not, it's, it's a little bit more rare, but it's been, again, it's nothing new. We saw a lot of that in the 2020 riots. It's more of the, the same kind of, uh, trying to instigate chaos and, and destruction in each city.
4: Folks, we're on with Gabriel Nadales. he is, uh, Former Antifa activist, and now he's the director with the Our America. We're going to talk about what Our America does as well as um, a little bit of his conversion, which he shared with us last time he was on the program. But I think it's always good to hear it again uh, directly from somebody who was dressed like a ninja himself, the OG, Gabriel Nadales. He's with us. Uh, don't go anywhere. We're coming right back with your calls and more. 833 4Valdes, 833, the number four, followed by my last name, V A L D E S. And uh, that's Valdez with an S. Don't go anywhere.
2: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
4: All right, America, welcome back. We're on with the author of the book Behind the Black Mask, My as and Antifa activist, Gabriel Nadalis. Now, Gabriel is the director of uh, national director of Our America. Now, Gabriel, I want to just continue a little bit here uh, to let everybody know that, you know, you, I think you told us last time that you were recruited by Antifa when you were in high school. Is that correct?
6: Yeah, you know, I joined the anti-fascist movement in 2011 when I was a senior in high school. And I mean, the way I started was just basically by showing up to an event where I knew that there was going to be an Antifa activists present and I dressed up in black and just to see what I would find. And there, sure enough, there was a, another anti-fascist activist who came up to me while I was just kind of standing around. And he asked me uh, if I wanted to kind of join him and his friends to really join with, just join them up. And from there, I just started uh, hanging out with them. They invited me to a lot more things, and I, I was involved all throughout Southern California and with them. Uh, that's kind of how you join the movement, at, at least my, from my experience. I know that there's different ways that they recruit, especially if you go to some of the more organized chapters, like in New York or in in, in uh, Portland, Oregon, like the Rose City Antifa. But sometimes it's as easy as just showing up to a protest, meeting them, and then all of a sudden you're part of a, a group of quote-unquote,
4: like-minded activists. You're in, right? So uh, I I wonder, you know, I mean, I always thought these misfit groups, whether whether it's like the Communist Party here in America or gangs, uh, street gangs, or groups like this, I feel like there's always a component where people are like, you know, I want to help, I want to do more, I don't really fit in with society, and they end up gravitating. And then there's smart ones like you that say, you know what, this isn't for me. But then there's others that say, you know what, uh, yeah, this is my thing. I'm totally into this. And something you said earlier, and I just wanted to share a point on this for the audience, was when I said it seems like they're making trouble for trouble's sake. And you said, that's right. That's kind of what they do. Uh, this is a a very old tactic by very aggressive um, communists. This was what they did Um Uh, Stalin was famous for for making sure that there were fire. Just use fire. There were fires everywhere because he said if there were fires in lots of places, it created these billows of smoke. And ultimately, this caused distress to the eye. People would see things and say, things are falling apart. Things are going badly. You know, we need to to pay attention to this. And uh, it's one of the oldest tricks in the book. But yet it seems to continue to work uh, like it always has. Now, you got recruited to Antifa and – did you wake up one day and say, you know what? This black mask, it's not fashionable. It's not for me. I don't like dressing like a ninja and breaking windows. What was it for you? When did you decide? No more.
6: No, it's definitely never been like a thing that was overnight. Um, there's actually two points in my life when I decided that I really needed to stop kind of uh, associating with these people. The first one I was in, um, I started re- learning about Milton Friedman and Thomas Sowell just because I was introduced to them by someone I knew. And mm-hmm. just by, by just by chance, I decided to kind of get into them. I started reading their, some of their articles that they wrote, watching some of the videos that they had on YouTube. Particularly something called uh, Free to Free to Live, I believe it's called. But it's this great uh, little documentary series by Milton Friedman. And you know, they had ideas that I found very interesting. Yeah. And I went back to my friends and I talked to them about them. And I you know I told them, well, check this out. What do you guys think? Well, as soon as I would kind of bring those issues up, I was called the capitalist pig just for kind of asking questions about what we believed. And they started to realize that just they weren't really interested in having honest conversations about about society. They just wanted to stick to their sticker ideologies, like slogan ideologies, bumper sticker ideologies, I like to call them. And what what I, fascists? I decided, <laughs> I decided, you know what, like I, I really need to... If I really want to believe and be secure in what I believe, I need to reach out to the other side and figure out what's going on. So in college, several months after all of this was kind of going down, I decided to start a uh, libertarian group literally just because I wanted to talk to people who were not like me. I just wanted to talk to them. And as soon as I started to talk to them, I realized that they weren't the ogres that we were them, making them out to see. they weren't capitalist pigs. They just had a different opinion. And slowly and surely, I started changing my mind on a lot of different issues. But it was never something as like, oh, I'm no longer part of Antifa. Like, oh, like, no. It was just my natural evolution of the, the, the views that I held. It just kind of naturally happened. I never woke up one day and thought like, oh, I need to like, not be part of Antifa. I'm like, eh, whatever. It's not really, I'm not really into that anymore kind of thing.
4: Right. That makes sense. Folks, we're on with Gabriel Nadalis. Uh He is the author of the book. It went away. Hang on. Don't go anywhere. I got it right here. The book is called Behind the Black Mask. My Time as an Antifa Activist. And uh, we're going to continue our conversation with him. I want to learn a little bit more about what they're up to lately with um, our America. He's a national director there. Don't move a muscle. If you have a question for him, give us a call. 8334-VALDEZ or our legacy line, 866-505-4626. You're welcome to ask him a question before we wrap up with him. And then it's straight ahead on to Open Phone America, a uh, time-tested tradition here on this program. So We're coming right back. Don't go anywhere.
2: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. This is America. This is Night. This is Rich Valdez.
4: All right, America, welcome back. It's America at Night with me, Rich Valdez, our phone number, 8334-VALDEZ. Our guest is Gabriel Nadalas. He's the national director at Our America and former Antifa member who um, got it right and uh, now is uh, promoting American values. Uh, We have a caller with a question from Oregon, Pendleton, Oregon. Let's go to Ed on KUMA. Ed, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez and Gabriel Nadalas. Go right ahead
10: yeah great great thank you very much uh, i just wanted to ask uh, if he has any ideas about or information about just in general if guns are coming in from various areas uh, outside the united states like through the immigrant uh, situation we have on the south border and i heard newsom say something today i just heard the news earlier that newsom Making some moves on guns. And it's just standard operating procedure of that. Mm. uh, Yeah, more gun control. Deal. And I just wondered, yeah, more gun control. And I just wondered what his thoughts are as he's seen the operations. Maybe if he knows anything about our guns coming in are easy to get. I'm just in general, I'm not specific on Antifa because I haven't heard a lot of shooting lately. But, uh, <laughs> but I Got just it.
4: wondered. All right. Well, thank you for the call, Ed. We appreciate it. Uh, Gabriel Nadalis, is it easy for Antifa to get guns? And do you know anything about them using guns in the violence that they uh, commit?
6: Well, let me tell you, I mean, a lot of the Antifa activists are American citizens, so they can get a gun as easily as any other American. But I can tell you, living in uh, Southern California, as well as I lived the a time in Arizona, The border needs to be secured. I mean, one of the issues that we have is the cartel kind of runs the place when it comes to that southern border, particularly in that when you get really close to those southern counties. And a lot of times the federal government doesn't really want to do much. And I'm sure that illegal guns come in and out through there. And we definitely need to secure a border to stop uh, a lot of different crimes (laughs) from happening.
4: Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Uh, I appreciate the call, Ed. Now, Gabriel, let's talk a little bit about our America, right? I know that you guys, um, have a pretty broad based approach to uniting communities around a sense of pride in America. And, and quite frankly, it's kind of, uh, the mission of, of, of my program is to unite communities around the, the mission of America and really focus on American greatness and American, uh, exceptionalism and, uh. I'm I'm grateful that there's a team like you and, and the guys that you're working with that are doing this work, but let the audience know exactly what it is you're doing.
6: No, of course. I mean, our America is very simple. We're really trying to unite communities over the sense of what it means to be an American. We're looking at fundamental American values like freedom of speech, uh, equal opportunity, dignity, respect, and just overall patriotism. We have found that there are certain fundamental values that are, very universally accepted and and cherished by most Americans. We're talking about 80, 90% of these issues. Yet for some reason, we're always talking about issues that only concern about 10% of, or even sometimes even less. I'll give you two examples. Number one, Latinx. People, if you talk to anybody on the mainstream media, for example, you'll hear that Latinx is what you need to call Latinos and all these things. But if you look at the Latino community in America, or just anywhere, it's like 99% of, of Latinos don't like Latinx. It's only that 1%. Yet it's put up in place that as if anybody, all Latinos like this, or the majority at least. Another one is defund the police. You'll hear that Black Lives Matter has 80% or plus percent of uh, support from African-American communities. But then you, when you talk about those issues that Black Lives Matter supports, such as defunding the police, it reverses. It's like 8 out of 10 black Americans want more police presence in their communities. And what our America is doing is we're finding those issues that are fundamental to America, which are very universally accepted. And we're promoting them and telling them uh, people who are on the radical extremes of either the right or the left, hey, like you, need to, you can be controlling the conversation when the vast majority of Americans have more in common than they realize.
4: How are you doing it? What are you doing? Knocking on doors? Are uh, you hosting uh, events? Are you training activists? What's the approach?
6: Sure. So we, we started about uh, a little bit under a year ago. And at first it was about building a community online and just trying to get people to sign up. And, but right now we just recently launched something called Hometown Heroes. And Hometown Heroes is really about going into communities and hosting events and the community level. We're talking about book readings, uh, like picnics. As well as you know, once we move on to another stage, we want to go ahead and start talking to people about issues. We actually just uh, we did a survey recently in which we found five issues that basically, again, seventy eighty percent of Americans believe in and support. Now, <clears throat> sorry about that. The first one is um, making sure, making sure that our we support our police enforcement because you know our police enforcement or, or law officers, they need our support, so we have to fully fund the police. Number two is making sure that people are allowed to practice their religion uh, the way they see fit. The next one is ensuring that people have an ID to vote. Surprisingly, you would think that's a right-wing issue, but no, like about 70, I believe it was 76% of respondents agree with that issue, that in order to vote, you should show a photo ID. Another one is, um, what do they call it? Making sure that we tone down inflation. Because wh- one of the things that a lot of Americans have noticed is that there's now, they've noticed that there's a direct connection between government spending and inflation. This is, Oh, this has never been the <laughs> Thank case Thank God before. they've realized this. I know, I know. Because typically people, when people talk about inflation and they've always, people have always been concerned about inflation, especially in the 2007, 2008 kind of era. But there wasn't really a connection between government spending and inflation. Now Americans see the, clo- the, the direct correlation between the two. And that's one of the things that we found on our, in our survey. You know, and among these things, we're really trying to promote these issues at the ground level. And you can check out more information about this survey and about what we're doing at joinouramerica.org. And, uh, yeah, join Hometown Heroes if you really want to be part of that uh, effort.
4: All right, folks, uh, the website is joinouramerica.org, joinouramerica.org. You can follow Gabriel at O-G-Nadales, N-A-D-A-L-E-S, and that's uh, S like Valdez, and... um, Give them a give them a follow. Check them out. See what's going on with the the work that they're doing. These are a bunch of young guys that are, I think, uh, making a difference across the country about why America is great. And I think what what a better message. Uh, Gabriel, uh, twenty seconds. Final word. You
6: no, know, I'm really excited to have be promoting American values instead of this antifa that only seeks to divide. So yeah, join our America.
4: You got it, brother. Thanks for joining us again. Hope to have you back soon. Straight ahead, folks. We are going to get to uh, your calls and more. Plus, there's a poll out and this poll. uh, It says 14 percent of voters. That's only 14 percent of voters support illegal immigration. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to do some gun control and, of course, illegal classified documents straight ahead. Rich Valdez coming back. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Some of you know me as your liberty-loving Latino amigo. Our telephone number is 8334-VALDEZ, 8334-VALDEZ, or you can call us on our legacy line, uh, 866-505-4626. Looking forward to speaking with you on our late-night town hall here. We're live, we're national. And it's always a pleasure to be with you. Now, a couple of uh, things we're talking about tonight. So, first of all, uh, former Vice President Mike Pence has discovered classified documents from his time as VP inside of his Indiana home. Lo and behold, they decided to clean up today in the Pence household, dusting things off, vacuuming, you know, little duster here and there. And then all of a sudden... Blowing off that stack of papers, making sure that uh, there's no dust. Oh, my gosh, what are these? These are classified. Gee willikers, we better notify somebody. Everybody, make sure you look under your chair, check your mailboxes. You might have some classified documents laying around. But that's what happened uh, with former Vice President Mike Pence today. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about that in a moment. Uh, We also have uh, Governor Gavin Newsom saying, um, (laughs) Newsom, I actually said, uh, Newsom saying that He is going to uh, double down on gun control. Um, That continues to be the case in California. We're going to get to that in a moment. We also had um, former Secretary of State, who was former CIA director and a congressman from, uh, from Kansas, Mike Pompeo joined the show earlier today, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, we got, I got to ask him a lot of really good questions. He was forthright about everything. Uh, he came clean about the um, his response to the Washington Post that had been badgering him, uh, saying that, you know, he was obfuscating on answering them and this and that. He answered the, their charges very clearly on this program. If you missed it, check out the podcast. Uh, he also... And that's the podcast for America at Night. Not to be confused with the stellar top 100, occasionally top 200 podcast. This is America with Rich Valdez, uh, which is the weekly one. And uh, that's going to be updated really soon. So keep your eyes and ears open for that one. Uh, But I do have a couple of clips of former Secretary Pompeo on with me earlier. Real short ones. One where he was responding to how the media is mischaracterizing his critique of Ambassador John Bolton. Who had released a, a memoir with some classified material in the book, and here's what he had to say about that.
5: Ambassador Bolton and I agreed on just about everything. We were working in tandem on the substance, but mm-hmm. I think I think I think John made an enormous mistake by putting classified information in a book about an administration that was still in office.
4: Now. Uh, he was also very candid and very forthright when I asked him about his intentions, uh, to run for president of the United States. Check this one out.
5: We're doing the things one would do to get ready. We're praying about it, but we, we haven't decided yet in the next handful of months, we'll, we'll make that decision.
4: Of course, I'm uh, fully expecting uh, Mike Pence to come back on the program should he decide to make that announcement because we want to bring it to you first and live and national right here on America at Night. But we'll keep you up to speed on that as that continues to develop. And I want to go to your calls. Let's uh, go to Tennessee, Bradford, Tennessee. Check in with Neil, WCMT. Go right ahead, sir.
8: Hi, Rich. How are you tonight?
4: Wonderful. Thank you.
8: I've been thinking a lot about the story about Vice President Pence and those national security documents that were found in his home in Indiana, Rich. I'm well, beginning first, let me
4: that, ask you, Neil, have you looked around today when you were cleaning up the house? Did you find any classified documents in your home?
8: I complete innocent on that one. There's no dirty <laughs> goings-on here in my house.
4: <laughs> All right, perfect. Go right ahead.
8: Okay, I started to say, I believe that with Mr. Trump and Mr. Pence having been found possession of... Uh, Classified documents, and now President Biden. I think both sides probably get a little loosey goosey, and uh, with the national security papers. I was, but I will concede the point for the sake of argument that during a transition, when an old administration is leaving office and a new crowd is getting ready to take over, they're racing against the clock. And the old, uh, the outgoing people probably say, well, the new people be taking on a matter of days, if not weeks, and we got to get out of here. So they'll just grab everything up and throw it in a box and take it and maybe put in a storage unit or throw it in a closet or whatever, not really pay attention to what's in that box. And years later, voila, there she is. But that's just my yeah. take,
4: right? I think your take is absolutely right, though. I think that people are doing that. And again, um, I don't think it's a blanket approach. I think we have to look at, you know, every variable. And you're right. I think when you have a sitting president of the United States, Donald Trump, you know, exits the White House to make space for the transition with uh, incoming president, uh, president president-elect Joe Biden. He takes his stuff. He takes it to his home, uh, his private office, Mar-a-Lago, et cetera. Um, I think it's. You know, under the Presidential Records Act, as far as I've read, he's got five years and up to 12 to declare what he wants to to maintain as classified and whatnot. Also, out of everybody in these stories, he's the only one that can unilaterally declassify documents by just in, – in effect, the examples I've been given by legal scholars have been saying any president, um, Democrat, Republican, et cetera, can just speak about classified information in an interview and it's no longer classified, right? So they have that unilateral ability without going through hoops and et cetera, because they are at the top of the food chain when it comes to the executive branch. So uh, I think he's the only one that has that right uh, and had that right to do that on his way out of office. And he's the only one that is immediately just out of office that we're at the two year mark as of last Friday, but you know this stuff happened several months ago so we're talking about a year and a half outside of of his exit from the white house whereas biden these are documents in multiple locations uh half a dozen years later i think they're they're very unique situations because biden doesn't have the right to declassify any of these documents so i think you know all of the uh, the facts have to be considered and i think you're right there are a lot of people that are being sloppy Uh, with this. And I would say it's mainly these people that didn't have the right to have these documents in the first place, especially the ones from his term as a senator. Right. Uh, Biden has some some uh, some document that was uh, obtained that said it was from his term as a U.S. senator. And some are suggesting that you could only view these these documents in a uh, a SCIF, one of those uh, secure compartmented information facilities. So, um, I don't know. It doesn't sound good to me. And uh, Kevin McCarthy, the Speaker of the House, uh, made some comments about Mike Pence and about the, the differences between the two of them. Uh, I want to get to that audio. Can we get to that audio? Yep. listen to this. The longer he waits, the more he puts the fiscal jeopardy of America out for grabs. We should sit down and get this done and stop
1: playing politics.
0: Our whole government is designed to have compromise, but here's the leader of the free world pounding on a table, being irresponsible,
4: saying, no, 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 just raise the limit, make us spend more. Okay, well, that was my mistake. Those were debt limit comments from Kevin McCarthy. He had some comments earlier where he was commenting on Mike Pence and uh, – It was uh, to the effect of of drawing the the difference um, or the contrast, I should say, between Mike Pence's um, forthrightness and saying, hey, I've got these documents. Here you go. And things continually being discovered at multiple locations with Joe Biden. So anyway, there is more to come on that topic. Thank you, Neil, uh, for weighing in on that. I really appreciate it. WCMT. Big shout out to everybody out in Tennessee. And I also want to get into this gun control stuff. So we have some audio on that we're going to play as well. Don't go anywhere. We're just getting started. It's Open Phone America. Give us a call.
2: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833 for Valdez, that's 833 482 5337. 833 for Valdez, that's Valdez with an S. We found the governor here in Monterey Park, not far from the dance studio where at least 11 were killed.
7: Nothing about this is surprising. Everything about this is
2: infuriating. California has the strictest gun laws in the U.S.
7: I mean, the Second Amendment's becoming a suicide pact. But
2: there's many people in this country that support the Second Amendment I, I, I and, support and, our, and our lawful gun owners.
7: Yeah, I have great respect. I have no ideological opposition to someone reasonably and responsibly owning firearms and getting background checks and
2: being trained. Authorities say the shooter used a modified pistol with a high-capacity magazine. But how did he get a gun that's illegal in the state of exactly. California? Exactly, we'll figure it out. That's
7: going to happen you got to enforce laws, things fall through the cracks, but it doesn't mean you give
4: up. All right. So there's a uh, mayor, excuse me, governor, former mayor, uh, now governor, Gavin Newsom, uh, saying it's a suicide pact. That's what he thinks about the Second Amendment. And listen, I think you have there's certain things, and, you know, and I've had this debate with people before. But I think you know, the Bill of Rights um, must, must be taken incredibly seriously. And it must be really well understood that these bill of rights are not rights that the government's giving to us, but that these are rights that we, the people are saying, these are our rights and you don't get to mess with these. And it's so important that we have to kind of outline that we're, we're excluding the government, right? From, from their involvement and infringement upon these things. And it, it, it just blows me away how we get into these things. Um, I know that there are some of you that enjoy my, uh, my anecdotes and, uh, other of, of you that, that can't stand them and feel that it's my narcissism. Uh, but either way, you're going to get it. And here's, here's my story. So, uh, on my daily trip to get my, uh, coffee at the Cuban place, uh, and although I was brought up drinking Puerto Rican coffee that my parents made, uh, same thing, espresso, but, you know, we filter it through, uh, looks like a sock almost, you know, uh, it's excellent. It's excellent. Uh, the Cubans have a different style of making their espresso, but just as good. And I go there to get my coffee and I bump into a guy and he's telling me, and this is a guy that in the past has said things like, you know, the, the most dangerous things we have are are the, you know, the fact that people want to have guns and, and people just feel they could have whatever religion they want. I said, these are the most dangerous things. That's the first and second amendment, right? So this is, um, you know, the same guy that I argued with a while ago. I'm talking to him this time. And uh, and these are very civil discussions. But we're having this discussion about about uh, guns. And he just says, I just don't understand why people want AR-15s. I don't understand why anybody would want a gun. He said, you know, I mean, it, it just it, it baffles the mind. And I said, well, if somebody's coming to your house and they're going to do something to you, he says, well, maybe I'd consider getting a shotgun. And I said, and that's fine. That's that's your right. You should have one. Get 2 one for you, one for your wife. Why not? But. Uh, he really seemed to take exception to the idea. And this guy was an immigrant. He had come uh, as a child, I think, from Colombia. And uh, so he grew up here, came as a very young very young man, grew up here. And it was just um, really interesting and, you know, I'm not going to say amazing, but very surprising to me that he, he had this approach because his family was involved in business and they had done really well in the United States. Uh, but he's still – he's a college-educated guy. And he just he felt that it, it's just wrong that we that we have this. And he feels like all of the the red states, if you will, or all the states where there's open carry and all of this, he says, This is what's wrong with this country. You know? He thinks that the the model is New Jersey. And and he somehow equated having less guns to having better education, which I didn't see any correlation between. But this is the, the, the line of crap that's constantly being fed. Now, people could say, but Rich, listen, listen to you. You're giving us a line of crap. You're crazy right-wing propaganda. Uh, I would disagree with that. Uh, but I would say, yeah, my, my approach is conservative, but I, I wouldn't think I'm propagandizing because I'm happy to discuss you know, just about any disagreement you have. But the, the the point of the story was this guy just didn't believe in what America was founded on. And the response was, These rules were made by, you know, a bunch of old white men that owned slaves. This is outdated, this document. You know, and I've always felt like, you know, when I had a mortgage or when I had purchased a car and had a car note, why why can't I go to them and say, look, this is a living, breathing document, Mr. Bankman. And I don't mean Bankman (laughs) Freed, Mr. Bank Financier. It's living and breathing, and I want to change the terms, right? You can't just go and change the terms because certain. that's why we write things down. So to suggest that the Constitution must be living and breathing, if not that you are um, um, some sort of white supremacist, I mean, in my opinion, it's, it's one of the phoniest things I've ever heard. But nonetheless, that's what's going on. So those are my thoughts on that, and I just thought it was remarkable. Now, Frank from Evergreen, Montana, in the Kalispell area, he's been holding on for a while. I want to thank him for holding on on KOFI. Frank, go ahead, sir. You had a thought on crime rates and gun violence. Go right ahead.
7: Well, yeah. First off, I want to say if I'm drinking coffee and holding a gun, especially biting coffee, my nerves get jiggly and I can't shoot right. You know, and uh, sorry to hear that, separate. so you know, I just don't understand why all these politicians they come into the state like their their biggest favorite sport is shooting and body slamming, and they're only five foot three. it's all it's all like fake wrestling, watching these politicians. Yeah. you know
4: do you have anything that's actually on topic, Frank, about the guns and crime?
7: Well, I, I think Montana's always been a safe state until these uh, tin ten horn politicians moved in, trying to save us from ourselves. Do you
4: so you feel it's become dangerous? For,
7: for, for them. They they got walk around like the they, they gotta to go to gun rallies and and, and beer drinking contests and you know, well, let's take it one step
4: and, at a time. So uh, are you saying that crime is jumping in, in uh, Montana?
7: No, it's jumping in other states where there's there's real high crime rate and everything and, and crime law. And
4: you're blaming that on coffee and beer
7: and politicians? But we we just don't need uh, a new religion moving into us, you know, to save us from our cells, you know, that we're all sinners, you know, sure. I mean, by God, uh, e- even in this state, uh, if you get out of prison, you got the right to, to a gun. You know, if you're going to survive, there's bear and everything to, out in the woods. And my gosh, you, you, it just facts to life. It's just, uh,
4: yeah, listen, you, know, you got bear out there. And in New York City, we've got, I don't know, Antifa, <laughs> we've got all sorts of crazies walking around. I think everybody should should uh, have, again, uh, their their rights. I don't think we should give them up based on on our region. So I think it's a, it's a good point. And I agree with you. Nobody needs a new religion. Nobody needs a new politician in town, you know, singing a new song, acting like a tough guy. But it, lamentably, this is what politicians do, whether they're the ones you like or the ones you dislike. Uh, there's always going to be that politician that wants to kind of puff up his chest and say, "Hey, I'm the new I'm the new sheriff in town," and I don't know if there's any getting around that, Frank.
7: Well, yeah, it's mostly over in the big politi- political areas, but by, by God, they're moving in like crazy. But they're going to be moving out soon. Um, we're not going to have a spring. It's going to go from winter to summer again. It's just going to be a, another flood year effect this is of the lunar cycles of the of the super moons. and super year, moons it's gonna yeah the moons well, are gonna fade out next year but uh, we're gonna have lower tides. but we're gonna have more more hurricanes and fires and everything and flooding this year so it's all it's,
4: right well thank you for the um geography and geology and uh, every other update you gave us, Frank, uh, it's always an education speaking with you. I thank you for it. And more on your calls coming up. We've got calls in Indiana and Maryland and more coming straight ahead. So don't go anywhere. Looking forward to those. I'm still trying to decipher everything I just learned from Frank in Montana. It's always a pleasure. And again, give us a call. 833 4 Valdez is the phone number. I'm looking forward to speaking with you on Open Phone America america's late night town hall we're live we're national and you are being heard so feel free to give us a call 833 the number four Valdes v-a-l-d-e-s i'm rich valdez we're coming right back don't go anywhere
2: 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
4: All right, America, welcome back. It is Rich Valdez, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. I posted a video of uh, my um, finding classified documents here in the studio. If you want to check it out, it's on Instagram, at Rich Valdez with an S. And I want to broach a topic with you. And um, this is an interesting one, right? Paris Hilton, the heir to the Hilton Hotel's um, fortune and whatnot, her and her recently wedded spouse, Carter Room, um, just announced, surprise they had a baby. Now, they're both 41 years old. That's just a couple of years younger than me. And my question for you all is... Is 41 years old the right time to be having a baby? And again, I don't know if there's a right time, wrong time. You know, I think I believe in God's will. Uh, but my question is me as, uh, you know, I was married for 10 years. I've been divorced for, for probably about that long now. And, uh, and I wonder, you know, so I got two or three more chapters left in my life. Do I get married again? And uh, should, if I do, do I have children? And um, looking at Paris Hilton having babies at 41 doesn't really inspire me, but uh, I think, you know, it, it just, it does beg the question should people in our age group, in our 40s, should we, you know, be considering having kids at this age? That would mean, you know, being in your mid 50s or late 50s when your kid is a teenager, you know, 15 years old. And hey, can I borrow the car when they're 16 and you're, you know, you know in a different point in life where you may not want to do what a, when i what i'm doing now right with my 17 year old and she has her own car but my point is uh, i'm wondering if that's it so i'd love your opinions on this um, let's clear up a, f- a few phone lines or the ones that are open let's uh, make sure we get folks on those uh, to our our producer work in the phones art who's terrific by the way visiting from from Culver City California and uh, i want to get the opinions of our listeners on should Is it too late for Paris Hilton and sh- should people be starting their families in their 40s? Uh, I don't know if that's right or wrong or indifferent, and that's why I'm asking you. Let us continue with your calls. I want to go to, let's see, um, Rick in Wilson Creek, Washington, KBSN. Hey, welcome.
11: Hey, I talked to you a couple of weeks ago about my motor home and this and that. and you were Oh, yeah. Just, you know, How are before- you, my man? Do you remember me?
1: <laughs> yeah, I do. I you said you're doing
4: I'm like a rehab on a house you're building, built yourself a nice little shack, and you're living out of an RV
11: while you're doing it. I'm amazed you can remember that. It's, you're talking to the Secretary of State, and now you're talking to me. But anyway.
4: I count them both an
11: honor. <laughs> I'm thinking about Putin, and, and I he's constantly on my mind. Okay, I remember videotapes of him going to a um, Paul McCartney concert and he's trying to find a seat and the crowd is going nuts and he's, you know, trying to hush them down so he can sit down and enjoy the concert. He's a human being. And, but you know what? He, he loves his country. And I know he's a bad guy. I know all about him and he's, he's crazy. KGB and all that. And, but you know what? He's a human being and I don't know what his family situation is, but I think if he's made a big mistake, obviously, but I think if somebody told him he could save face and say, hey, I loved my country and I tried to do what I could do. It didn't work. I'm sorry for all the the loss of life. But, you know, I did it for a reason. And maybe we can sit down and figure this out and maybe we can get him to come to the damn table. I mean, yeah. I well,
4: here's the thing, Rick. Thing. Let me jump in here, because I, I, I think, you know, I agree with part of what you're saying. Uh, number one, I don't believe that Putin is reasonable. I think you're presuming that he is. And and there there's a difference we have there. But uh, I do believe if this country was led by someone with, uh, with a pair that was well-placed and would say, hey, look, I'm the leader of the free world. I'm the president of the United States, and I want to talk to you. Let's sit down and, and hash this thing out. I think he could do that the way many presidents in the past have tried to do that or even a a secretary of state that was worth their salt. Uh, Lamentably, I don't think we have that right now. And that's why Putin is doing what he's doing. He said, oh, you know what? While we've got these guys that are complete weaklings, you know, it's the difference between, you know, we've all encountered that one cop that we're like, oh boy, this guy's like Officer Tackleberry in the Police Academy series, or uh, like RoboCop. You know, the guy lives six days a week in the gym, you know, huge back, small waist, muscles everywhere you know every gadget you could think of on their on their duty belt and you're like that's not the cop i want to mess with today right and then there's the cop that's like you know what he's got what's on his duty belt i don't know 35 pounds of lard hanging out of his gut and you think oh that guy i could outrun that guy you know in my socks i think that's the difference to me biden is 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 the out of shape cop that you know in reality i've seen plenty of a, a big cop chase a lot of people but my point is that I think Putin saw the weakness. He smelled the blood in the water, and he says, I'm doing what I got to do, whatever I feel like doing. And he's doing it. I wish that we had a leader that would bring Putin to the table and say, or even on a phone call and say, listen, chill. You got to chill out, bro. This isn't going to go good for you. It's not going to work out, sir. But we don't have that. So instead, we have a monster who may have curbed his, uh, his, his desire to what he likes to call annex, what the rest of us call invade these parts of what are now sovereign nations and say, no, this is a part of the old Russian empire, the now part of the new Russian Federation. This is what we've got going on. And I think this is the problem where we can't we can't just accept that willy nilly. But that's where we are. We've allowed it to happen. We're at the point where I think Biden says, oh, you know, if you want to do it, then you do it. I got hairy legs. But hey, we're going to keep sending you billions. And, uh, you know, because we've got agreement. People want to help you. So, yeah, we do have people that want to help Ukraine. And then we have some people saying, you know what, forget Ukraine. We can't help them anymore. Why? Because it's Biden the one that's in charge of everything. Notice how nobody balked at helping Ukraine when it was Trump that was helping them. Nobody said, oh, my gosh, Zelensky is in, is in, in stiletto heels and, and, uh, and tight pants. Uh, Zelensky is the, the, the world's biggest actor. These guys are running the PSYOPs campaign. They're doing this and they're doing Nobody said anything about Ukraine when Trump was sending them Javelin missiles. And he was because he was trust but verify. He was saying, look, I know you need these weapons to protect yourself in case what's happening. Obama sent you blankets. I'm going to send you lethal weapons. Right. We're going to make a deal here. He was being a leader. And that's what we need. So I think it's not about not helping Ukraine. It's about being judicious, trust but verify, making sure we do the right thing and we put America first. And that's uh, unfortunately not what Biden's doing. It seems like he's just doing self-dealing like he always has and uh, helping out his friends in the military industrial complex and just going, um, going along to get along. And I think it's a horrible place to be. Uh, for for our country, a hundred billion dollars and counting. It's crazy, but that's where we are. And I think you're right. If we could sit this guy down and say, look, there's a way out for you, where you could save face. The problem is the only way they save face is by taking more of what they claim is theirs. You know, eventually they're going to go after Belarus or whatever, or have they're, they're satisfied. I think momentarily when they have their own puppet government in place, but instead You've got Zelensky in place, and uh, I don't. I don't think I would say that Zelensky is our puppet government. Uh, maybe they are, and when I, by "our" maybe I mean the United States. Uh, but maybe that's not the case, right? Uh, I think we, we've seen the different factions in the past, so I can't. You know, I can't weigh in on uh, in any concrete fashion on on who Zelensky's is working for, but I can say. We're sending entirely way too much money, not enough weapons, and there isn't a plan in sight. And now you've got all these people sounding the alarm that there's this clock, right? And I didn't even get into this because during the break, I was telling uh, our producer, Tom, Count Delacula, I was telling him, you know, everybody's sounding the alarm on this on this doomsday clock, and I just don't think anything's going to happen because of this concept that we always hear about, this mutually... Uh, assured destruction. And I don't think anybody wants to to die in nuclear ruin, not even Vladimir Putin. So he might be crazy, but he's not stupid, right? And I think ultimately that's what it comes down to. So thank you, Rick, for listening. I appreciate it. It's always a pleasure to hear from you. Keep uh, the calls coming in from Washington State, KBSN. There is more to come straight ahead. Your calls and more. I am Rich Valdez. Don't move a muscle.
2: This is America Night with Rich
1: Valdez.
2: Voted best head of hair in a live late night radio six years in a row. It's Rich Valdez.
4: All right, America, welcome back. So my question to you again is, Paris Hilton at 41, uh, is that the right time to start your family planning? I mean, Janet Jackson was 50 years old just three years ago when uh, she had her baby. She announced the pregnancy at 49 years old, had had the baby, gave birth to the baby at 50 years old in December of 2020, I believe was when it happened. Maybe January, um, no, it was January 2017, excuse me. Jeez, there's a lot here. Jeez, it looks like she was pregnant twice. Anyway, um, that is the, um, the question for you guys, plus all of our other um, great topics, uh, gun control and everything else that we talked about. Let us uh, continue the conversation here. Uh, Sarah in Bedford, Indiana, WBIW. Sarah, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez.
12: Thanks. Uh, two quick comments. Uh, guns. We've had guns in this country with far less gun control, And we had much lower rates of violence um liberals came and did away with social controls uh the family there's a whole lot of changes that they made and not all of them were good and you can see the crime rates start to spike from the 60s onward so maybe we'll keep our guns and get rid of some of the breakdown of the family and the loss of morality and and uh take care of the problem uh you know countries with strict social controls like Japan and Switzerland, opposite ends of the gun control spectrum, and yet they have lower crime rates. And then secondly, you're doing a great job. There's a lot more, we get a lot more time to talk with you as hosts. You get to talk back and forth. And, uh, you know, the whole point of a radio show is not only to call in, but to hear the host comment on your call. So,
1: oh,
4: great job. Thank you. thank you for that. I appreciate it. I do believe in conversation, and typically that's a two-way street And, you know, I do appreciate it, Sarah, from WBIW. And this reminds me that, you know, Karine Jean-Pierre, she said America is the only country where people die by guns when they're not in war. Now, first of all, I think this is a false statement. Uh, I mean, um, literally, I think El Salvador, at least up until about a year or so ago, led the pack in the amount of people dying um, when there wasn't a war going on. Uh, but yet um, this is the comment that she made, and we have the audio, but I'm not going to play it. But this is you know, between her and, and, a, and a reporter friend of hers in the White House. And it makes me think, is this where we're headed, Sarah, where we're just going to make stuff up?
12: Yep, I think the liberals do that. They have a social narrative and they have changes they want to push. And now we have a media that overall supports her narrative. And people aren't going to look at history. They aren't going to talk to older people who lived in more peaceful times, and those people are going to die out. And their, their so-called truth will be the only truth. So it, yeah. it's sad to see it happen.
4: Now, Sarah, you're in Bedford, Indiana. Uh, being from Indiana, did, did you check your home today for classified documents like former Vice President Pence did?
12: Uh, no, no, I work at a school. I work around enough classified documents, uh, kids-sensitive homework thrown on the floor and stuff like that. We're, we're still trying to secure all that. <laughs>
4: all right. Well, make sure you check your home because that's the new trend now. Everybody's checking their home for classified documents. Thanks, Sarah. Good chatting with you. Uh, let us continue to Charles in Montgomery, Alabama, KNSI. Charles, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez.
3: Thank you, Rich. You're doing an excellent job, sir. I really you. like your show a lot.
4: Thank you for listening. I, I appreciate the conversation. Uh, so what's your thoughts marriage. on marriage? Uh,
3: my mother and father, I'm 70 years old. i Very having a very good life. My mother and father met in World War II. They were officers in World War II. Cool. My father, I was the oldest of two children, my father was in his 40s when he had me. My mother
4: was in her, was 37 when she had me. Wow. Wonderful interesting.
3: Parent. Yeah,
4: listen to this. So my dad was 41 when I was born. Um, I'm 44 now. And I, my kids are big, and I, I don't have any intentions of having more kids. But, you know, I date and I meet women, and, and that occasionally comes up. So when I see this article, I'm thinking, you know, is that the new normal? Are people having kids older again like they did in the time of my parents? I'm not sure, but I, I think I, I probably agree with you. I think you could do it whenever you like, and it, you could might even be a better parent because you might be more established in life. Um, a, I wanted to thank you for your compliment, and B, I want to thank your parents for their service to the country. That's really nice.
3: You're welcome. Of course, there are social there are social things that cause people to have children late like too, like World War II.
4: Oh sure, yeah. Things Which, a lot of things yeah. can make that happen, hey, or even I'm COVID, called, or you you, you, sorry. Yep.
3: Quick comment. You were talking about guns when uh, I came on listening to you. Uh, In England, it's against law for, in, for individual citizens to have guns. You know what criminals do when they want to rob somebody? They just walk in their house. Criminals have guns in England. <laughs> right.
4: right. Well, you know, that's how it is in, in blue states. Uh, I, You know, I, I, I was born in Brooklyn, and when I was 12 years old, we moved across the river to Jersey. And I can tell you, in Jersey, you're almost guaranteed to have a bad guy that's armed. And up until that Supreme Court, uh, court ruling recently, um, you were almost guaranteed that A very, very small percentage of off duty cops or the, you know, the the three people that they allow to have a a concealed carry permit because you had to prove that there were active death threats against you every single year in order to have a concealed carry permit. So, you know, if you were let's just for example, say you were a talk radio host that, you know, got a lot of death threats, then maybe you could take those on a regular basis to the state police in New Jersey and say, look, these people want to kill me. I need to be armed all the time. And then maybe they'd consider giving you one. But now, you know, the the tide has uh, turned a little bit and it's it's a little bit better. Uh, But again, great comment. I thank you for the conversation and for the compliment. Really good to hear from you. Charles in Montgomery, Alabama. Big shout out to you guys. All right. Let me see. If we um, go to the break and then we're going to line this up, we've got calls in Florida, South Carolina, Carolina, North Carolina, and Maryland. I'm going to try to squeeze everybody in and we only have a couple more minutes at the end of the segment, but I'd love to hear from you. Don't go anywhere. It's Rich Valdez, America at Night.
2: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
4: Let's check in with Guy in Vero Beach, Florida,
5: WTTB. Guy, what's going on, man? Uh, The gun violence thing and the the gun regulations, um, ATF is currently putting out a rule, since they can't make laws, they make rules Mm -hmm. that that makes uh, um, braces, Illegal and turns what they have classified as pistols with arm braces into short-barreled rifles and shotguns. And they're doing this by rule, which is not legal under the Constitution. And mm-hmm. everybody listening needs to call your congressman and tell them to work on a CRA, the Congressional. Um, uh, oh my
4: God! I just I just want blank. The, um, yeah, well, the- I, I get the gist of it. Um, they, 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 there's a, It's a resolution, I think, that you're referring to that they're going to put forward to, to address this. And, and it should be. When, when we have anybody governing by these types of executive fiats, whether by rule or by executive order, this is, is problematic, and, and we should. People have to – these people get away with these things when we don't call them out on their stuff, and that's part of the problem. Thank you, Guy. I appreciate it. Big shout out to WTTB. Jerome, Charleston, South Carolina, WTMA. Go right ahead quickly.
7: When does the Pence investigation start, Rich?
4: I would hope that that they're going to announce a special counsel today. I would hope that they announce that they're going to start looking into it right now uh, because it seems like everybody else involved has one. Why not, right? We've got one for Biden. We've got one for Trump. We've got one for everybody else.
3: Why not have one for Pence, right, Jerome? Yeah.
11: yeah. How long is how long he been hiding his
3: secret documents that he lied about to David Muir or ABC? Do you have the document? Oh,
11: no, I don't have any documents. Yeah. Well, well,
4: I think the answer to how long is pretty simple. He left office on January 20th. Uh, it's about a year later. And um, uh, listen, I say you, you treat them all the same way. Are we going to treat them all like we treat Biden? That'd be nice. Right. If they treated him the way they treated Biden. Let the lawyers do it. So far, it looks like they're treating ex- treating him exactly the way they treated Biden. And the only one that's the odd man out is Donaldus Magnus El Trompito, the 45th president of these United States. The only one that had the ability to declassify everything on his own unilaterally. He's the one that got the raid on his property with the FBI and whatnot against his will. So anyway, Jerome, thanks for the call. I always appreciate it. Matt in North Carolina, WTKF, Frank in Cumberland, WCBC. Thank you, guys. The music means we got to go. Hasta la proxima. Until the next time, take care, good night, and God bless. I am Rich Valdez. This is America at Night.